are live from Soho Works Dumbo, and welcome to the first live broadcast for Creators with Influence. I'm Kiana Smith Brunetto, and I'm the founder of the American Influencer Council and co-host of Creators with Influence podcast. And I'm Karsten Skinny Tannis, uh, also part of the American Influencer Council and co-host of the Creators with Influence podcast. And it's just great to be here in Brooklyn tonight with so many entrepreneurs and digital creators in this space. And November is National Entrepreneurship Month, and it's a great time for us to dive into the creator economy boom and examine what type of structures are needed to support the digital content creator community. And we have put together an incredible panel of uh, key opinion leaders who are going to discuss so many hot topics. Yep. And uh, what we'd like to do, um, well, we're actually joined by so many key opinion leaders in the uh, creative labor space. And I'd just like to have everybody introduce themselves and let us know a little bit about you guys as you do that. Hello, everyone. Um, so lovely to be here. My name is Marinda Yelverton. I'm Vice President of Client Services at Whaler. We are a global tech-powered company focused on influencer marketing through brand partnerships and talent management. Monty? Hi, guys. My name is Marissa Wren. It's so nice to be here. I am a content creator, mostly on TikTok. I do a lot of fashion content. And I'm also a student at Emory University studying marketing. Uh, I am Alex McGarris. I am a lawyer. I'm a partner um, at Venable, a national law firm. I'm based in our New York office. And I represent brands and creators like you all um, in kind of navigating the regulatory issues uh, that you face with respect to mostly endorsing you know, brands, products, but a host of other legal issues that you all have to deal with on a daily basis. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. I'm Aliza Licht. I am one of the founding board members of the American Influencer Council, so proud partner to Kiana. And <clears throat> excuse me, I'm super happy to be here. Day job, I am in marketing. Side hustle, I am an author and a podcaster. Uh, my brand is called Leave Your Mark. And um, I can, I'm gonna be speaking tonight on behalf of even the brand side perspective of creators. Hi everyone, my name is Samra Albarsha and I'm a modest fashion blogger and I'm also on the learning and development committee at the AIC. So thank you guys for joining us tonight. According to a 2020 report by the VC Signal Fire, there are more than 50 million individuals who consider themselves creators. However, there are only 20, 2 million people who are able to pursue this profession full time. And I find that stat really um, interesting because you know, when you think about the number of people producing, you know, free content all across all of the platforms, but only a fraction of those people are able to earn a living, it says how difficult it is um, to wield influence or to monetize on content. 
And so the first question I'm going to pass to Aliza and, you know, let's get into professional identity because it's something we discuss quite often at the AIC. Creator and influencer have a tendency to be grouped into two classes and a lot of brands, you know, and media like to, you know, prefer creator. And I want to discuss why do you think that is? So I actually thought about this. I think about it a lot. And I actually think it's hubris on the perspective of the brand side. Because I think most brands are a little bit uncomfortable with the fact that they themselves need to rely on other people for influence. So I personally think it's their way of feeling okay with it. And I think if, if you say, oh, that person's an influencer and I need that person to like make me relevant, that's an uncomfortable position for a brand to be in. So I think they made it up. <laughs> <laughs> I want to pass it. I want to pivot and ask, you know, our creators on the panel and uh, Marissa and Summer, how do you feel about creator or influencer? Is it is it a hybrid? How do you identify? Um, personally, I think the term influencer has been around for a lot longer and I feel like it's been very stigmatized like at school all of my friends have very traditional roles and they kind of look at influencer as a joke so I think it's like important to get rid of the stigma and at the same time I also prefer the term creator because for me being creator means producing content of value so I would definitely describe myself more as a creator than an influencer, but I think both are very important. I also agree with you. I think the term influencer is, again, as you said, um, much more dated for people that are not even in the industry. You know, when I meet someone who's not in social media, they'd be like, oh, influencers. That's like a term they know how to use. But creator is like someone who's in this space, understands the work behind it, and it's almost more like entrepreneur in my opinion. And uh, also, I just wanted to add, sometimes um, on the hybrid side that I'm on, I've seen influencer used as a way um, to negotiate leverage uh, from the brand side, meaning that they try to devalue what you do as a creator by calling you an influencer to like reduce what they're trying to pay you. So sometimes that's what I've seen as well. I mean, I, I'll just jump in. From a legal perspective, you all do create something, and there's you know, intellectual property attached to it. So you are creators and you want to keep that in mind that whatever it is that you create, you, someone gets to own it or license it and all of that has to be negotiated. And so keep that in mind. I actually feel like both words have, should have positive connotation. Um, there's nothing wrong with the term influence. Um, and, you know, there are creators that don't have that influencing power, and there are some influencers that don't have that creative power. And so I think um, we should definitely start to dismiss the, the negativity around it because the, the two are powerful words, and it's the reason why social media has become what it is. I agree with you 100%. You know, destigmatizing influencing is so important because if you think about, you know, YouTube stars, you know, one of the reasons that YouTube pivoted to creators or YouTube creators because how many YouTube stars can you really have? You know, you can't have thousands of YouTube stars. You can only have a few, but you can have millions of creators. 
And so, you know, when you scale something, it opens up the opportunity and it makes the dream possible. And so if you can have more people producing content on a platform, it's a win for a platform, isn't it? Because then they can have, they can advertise more. And so I think it's important for us to understand why a word becomes powerful. Yeah, it's called convenience for the brands. <laughs> and I think even like TikTok has kind of changed the landscape because anyone who uses TikTok is called a creator. So you don't hear about TikTokers being described as influencers unless they're popular on other platforms as well. That's true, and they named the marketplace creator marketplace from the beginning. Very, very good, all really good points. And I want to take this back to uh, Summer and Marissa. Um, as we talk about creators, you know, if we think about the future of the workforce, you know, where does creator fit in? Um, you know, knowing that we are, you know, you guys are small businesses, what do you sort of envision as small businesses? Is, does creator fit into that scope? As Alex just said, you know, you are producing something that has copyright and IP. You know, I think that the word creator will continue to fit in just because you are taking on so many roles as a creator, You're taking on, for example, the modeling, the styling, the photo shooting, editing, all of the behind the scenes production. So it's really an entrepreneurial, you know, process that is happening. So I think whatever you end up doing, you're going to continue to take on all of those roles. I completely agree. I recently just decided that I'm going to try content creation full time after graduation. And I think the best job title I would like describe myself would be a creator. Um, so I'm going to jump in here. Um, and I have a question to the entire group. Um, we know wealth stays with the top 1% of the creator economy. And internet theorist Clay Shirky calls this the power of law distribution. What types of opportunities can help level the playing field? You know, you have, I'll, I'll help you guys kick it off. Affiliate marketing is hot right now, tipping, micropayments. You know, what are you sort of envisioning to sort of help creators right now? I, th I think education. Um, we are definitely in a time where this, this industry is continuing to scale. And so there's this pressure, I think, on influencers and creators um, to do and be everywhere, to be on every platform, to do every tactic um, to monetize their, their content. And I don't think that's really necessary. You really need to hone in on the areas and platforms that are organically you are able to create naturally um, and elevate in that manner on those platforms that are unique to you and just focus there. Um, when there are new platform updates and changes and things that roll out, test them out, try them. Um, and when I say education, I mean when it comes to monetizing and really being an entrepreneur in this space, understanding like your, your rights and, and making sure that you negotiate things correctly with your you know, self in mind. And you know, there's, there's the monetary component of it, making sure from a business standpoint that you're, you're handling those taxes, all of that. So education is key. Um, and those that are successful, they have a support system around them that I've seen that are able to educate them in those areas for them to be successful. 
I think also just to add to that, the ability to really create revenue directly from the fans is really what it's about. And then taking it a step further, the ability to actually create your own social network and your own platform to be able to then generate revenue is really where all of this is heading. Because at the end of the day, everyone here is renting their audience, yeah. right? And you have no control over your reach whatsoever. And at any given day, it's like a light switch. They can decide to turn something off, and all of a sudden, you're not influential anymore. Well, they did. Facebook <laughs> went dark. <laughs> they, they sure did. And uh, you know, it, 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 I think it was a wake-up call for a lot of creators. Yeah. You know, what happens when what, WhatsApp was down, Instagram was down, Facebook was down? And I always challenge creators, like, are, do you have an email capture? You lost your audience for a lot of hours. What if you never got them back? You know, what happens then? How do you, and the audience, you know, they really pay your bills. <laughs> um, and so I think it, it was a reality check for many. Yeah. I think uh, content quality is huge too. I see so many creators and influencers that are focused on the brand partnership and not the audience that they're cultivating and the content that they're creating. It's like that's the goal, but you forgot about who you're talking to and honing in your content to make sure you either appeal to them or you make them aspire. And so I think that's also key. Yeah, I definitely think that there are some pioneers in that space of um, just owning your audience and your content. Um, one person that comes to mind, which I actually admire, is uh, Ryan Leslie, and he was at the forefront of like the MySpace boom, and we've all been there, you know, like decorating the backgrounds and adding music. Um, but he was able to launch a few different music careers from MySpace, and then once they crashed and his career just kind of floundered in the public space, he then decided to hone in on his true fans, create his own network, and only distribute his music on his own platform. Um, it helps to have like Harvard and, and MIT friends that can help you with that. But it, it's, um, I feel like we're moving more in that direction today. But can you tell us what's some things that the platforms are doing that isn't working? Um, <laughs> How yeah. much time do you have? Where do you start? Also, I'm just going to encourage everyone to hold the mic closer to your mouth so that everyone in the back can hear you. Not my area of expertise. <laughs> I mean, creator funds. What are you know? What do you guys think about those? I mean, listen. I think they should be giving money back to creators. I mean, if if creators decided to just go on strike, right, and everyone just decided to stop posting, there'd be no platforms. So they should they should be sharing the wealth. They don't share enough of it. I mean, I'm not going to get too academic, but this is very similar to labor movements in the past. Um, there's lots of examples out there, and I think um, Kiana, an American Influencer Council, has kind of taken the first step into doing that, organizing, getting you guys in the same room, putting together lists of things that you care about, and plans for executing, and so staying involved and growing. Cause for all of you, it's power in numbers. That's how you're going to see any change in those kind of bigger systemic things, like the platforms who have bigger problems right now. I think we all know. Um, so you guys have to become another problem by, by getting together. 
making making some noise. I would say, um, without naming platforms, right, um, losing the foundational reason why people joined you in the first place. Um, I see that there's, you know, when you're not listening, when platforms are not listening to the users and what they appeal to and how they want to navigate the platform and what the interface, the user face looks like and the, all of those things um, and just focusing. And it's very obvious when they're completely focused on, you know, the, the monetary aspect of it and driving conversions and that's good, right? for us to have a central place where social can impact e-commerce, for example, but don't lose the foundational reason why people enjoy the app in the first place. I completely agree with you. I also see the issue of algorithms being um, something that's very popular, a popular complaint nowadays, mm -hmm. just because the influencers or creators themselves are feeling kind of stuck between what platforms to use and which ones are going to reach their audiences most and having to make a choice on um, where to spend most of their time. And I think it's going to hurt the platforms in return because people aren't, aren't happy using them mm -hmm. when their content is not doing as well as it does on other platforms. Right. But I also think to add to that, it's like the bait and switch of you know Instagram saying, oh, we're not a photo sharing platform anymore. It's like if you are someone who has built your entire audience taking beautiful photos, and you're not a video content creator, you really are a photographer, whatever you are, and all of a sudden, that's not okay anymore. You're playing with people's entire livelihoods, and I think that, and we talk about this all the time, Kiana, having creators have a seat at the table to have those kinds of discussions before they press that button and say like, oh, actually, your photo that used to get 400 likes, now it's gonna get 25 over the course of three days. Hope that's cool. See, that also brings up the conversation of creator mental health because you go through these ebbs and flows of creating and putting out things that you're proud of and things that you want to share, you're trying to get a message across. And I think that when it's not interacted with, when there's no engagement, it's so uh, deflating, you know, and it, it immediately drives people to either A, seek out another place where you can get the attention, or B, you know, I think that some people would actually try to pay for that like reach, and it, it doesn't work either way. Um, so again, the um, uh, the usage of the of the app and the experience of the app, I think it's it's really where they're missing these days sometimes. Uh, that's a really important point because Snapchat put out a study and it and it found that a lot of teens would rather be a YouTuber than an astronaut. And so when you talk about mental health and getting more people into our trade and people feeling the burnout, this is really an important issue for us to tackle. And it's important to safeguard those professionals who are entering our, our industry. You know, you want people to come into a profession and feel like they can do it with integrity and that they can do it and perform in a way that is um, not going to compromise their health or well-being and that, you know, other things like, you know, being able to influence a retirement. What does that, what does that even look like? <laughs> um, it's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> um, but next question. You know, ev most people here know I love the information. And uh, 
They've put out a great chart about the projection of spend by advertisers. And across YouTube and TikTok and Instagram, the projected spend for next year is $4.6 billion. But when you look at that, and that is coming from um, eMarketer, but when you look at what advertisers are going to spend across social media, the projected spend is $80 billion. So influencer marketing is just a sliver of what advertisers are spending. And so I think this is really um, important to drill into because it comes down to, you know, is disposable content, user-generated content. Creators are not getting paid for every type of post. There are only so many brand deals. Um, does user-generated content in the age of disposal media, you know, impact, negatively impact influencer marketing? And I wanna throw that to the whole group. <laughs> okay, I'll speak. Um, no, I don't think it does. Um, because it's that that helps brands source creators that authentically already align with their brand um, ethos are already organically talking about those products. So I don't think so. I think we, we need to, when it comes to value or in general, right, it's not just monetary. This is a relationship-driven space. And so when creators are naturally talking about brands, they're incorporating it into their storytelling, their content, that breeds opportunity. Well said. Well said. Anyone else have a point of view? Not that, no. <laughs> <laughs> Any other takes? No. No? <laughs> Actually, I, I do want to add something because you're you're pretty much saying it's disproportionate how much money the creators are getting compared to the advertising spend, right? And I think one of the issues is going back to what Marinda said before is education because there was a really big TikToker, really big. I'm going to say maybe at eighty thousand followers at the time, but making an impact. And I reached out to her natively, and I was like, hey, I love your content. I'd love to work with you. How much do you charge for a video post? $200. So I, I basically educated her and sat her down, and I was like, you're charging too little for your content, and I'm not going to be the person that pays you $200 for your content. Needless to say, I reached back out. Like Now she's well over 250 I reached out less than a year later. And I asked her, hey, we'd love to work with you again. What are your rates now? 30000 for a video. I was like, girl, I created a monster. Good for Am her. Am I grandfathered in? Like, what is that? Good for her. Yeah. That's all I can say about yeah. that. Good for her. I think that's a, you know, an interesting point because I talk to brands, and I think it's important that there is, you know, we work in an, in an interconnected community. The brand and creator relationship is so important. And we hear mega creators talking often about charging, you know, twenty, thirty-five thousand dollars a post. But that's the one percent of our space. And it's super important that, you know, when we are when you hear those numbers, it's very inflated. And I do think it it could, you know, it has it can impact the creator middle class negatively. And it's important that, you know, 
we are you respect the brand relationship because there's only so much money that can go around and those type of rates can sort of like can can brands really afford a creator that charges $35,000 a post is it is the content worth that and so you know i hear from brands often saying like you know their creators are asking for way too much but i think you also have to remember who is this person before they were a content creator? Because if someone's an artist and they have an Instagram account that's with a good following, first and foremost, they're an artist. If someone's a makeup artist in Hollywood and they're also, they also have a big community on Instagram or TikTok, like those things factor into the rate. It's not, you're not starting from zero if the person is known in some space. And also in comparison to what the cost would be for brands to produce a lot of these assets themselves. Mm -hmm. It's not too much. Now, I do agree that there needs to be, I mean, what one creator charges does impact the next, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's where that education is key as well. What are you, what is a brand leveraging for? Value is subjective, right? Yeah. So how I'm utilizing you as a creator may be different in terms of how I may be utilizing someone else. And so that is a factor as well. And I think it's interesting to know how you said the difference in pay between traditional marketing and influencer spending. Mm -hmm. Well, lately a lot, I've seen a lot of social media campaigns like on ads that feature creators, but the creator is not posting it. So I'm wondering where that falls into, especially on TikTok. You'll see a lot of ads and it'll be like a creator is making the video, but the brand posted it and not the creator. Yeah, yeah. I'm seeing that too. So then it grabs your attention because you recognize who this is, almost like a celebrity. Mm -hmm but then it's still on the brand's end. Well, because they probably couldn't afford the post. <laughs> and also, I mean, that, that circles back to um, usage rights and likeness, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that, that we were just discussing. Right. Um, yeah, you should definitely jump in on this because I, I love this topic. <laughs> um, I've had great conversations with another uh, AIC member, Eric Hercules, which is somewhere in here. And, um, you know, we always discuss um, just like the, the rights and the usage when negotiating these contracts, especially your likeness. Um, sometimes a brand might approach you, and early on in our career, when we were just starting out as content creators before we had any sort of influence, we might take that $500 a day job. We might take that $2,000 a day job. But we forgot all about the usage rights. You might have signed over the content for you know uh, perpetuity, right? That's like the word that we've been seeing. My new favorite word that I love seeing in these contracts, it's like, um, it's not just globally, it's like universally. Like they now know we're going to the moon and they want your content to put on the moon as well. So, um, but diverting to the professional here because I, I love, you know, when people find this out because again, it, it adds a couple extra zeros to your, you know, to your check. But what's something that people can look for and negotiate in terms of like likeness, usage, term? Um, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, Leverage is everything, so it really depends on the on the power dynamic between you and who's trying to buy your content. So there's going to be situations where you're going to have a, a take it or leave it opportunity, and you have to make a business decision as to whether or not it's worth it. Um, and I think for many people, it often is at the beginning of their career and you hear horror stories from other eras when um, you know musicians had to sign away everything just to get started and 
and then now they're fighting back much later when they finally get the leverage, right? And so unfortunately, there's very little I can give you in terms of like wisdom or tips um, other than, you know, if you have a, a, a lawyer that you can either afford or that is a, a you know, friend, have them look it over for, for certain things that really matter to you. And so I think to the extent that you have a sense of what really matters to you, um, keep that in mind when reviewing these agreements. Um, you know, every one of these contracts are going to be very one-sided. Um, and they're going to ask for the world. I think uh, maybe some, on the edges you can make some inroads in terms of maybe asking for them to notify you if they're going to use something so that they're still able to use it but you get a heads up or some sort of ability to negotiate after a certain number of years. You know, leaving some room, wiggle room, that um, allows you to come back um, if and when your, 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 power, you know, your star power does rise. And that's really probably the most you can do. Obviously, if you are a mega influencer or are dealing with a brand that really needs you for a particular situation, um, you really need to you really need to look at the agreements carefully um, and have someone. I mean, you really need to have someone look at it because they almost don't make sense in English, right? And so that's on purpose. Um, and so you know, in my view. Um, organizations like this are really important to get you guys some baseline knowledge and um, information to you know to look out for. And I know you know template contracts, something we talked about in the past, and having little workshops on what these terms mean, so that you can arm yourselves with some of that basic information. But to the extent we're talking about a really important contract, you really are going to need to have someone represent you, unfortunately. So I do have a follow-up question for Eliza. Um, from the brand perspective, what is something that would allow you or encourage you to pay more for a creator? I think it's always it, it's going to always come down to the scope of work. Like how many deliverables are, are they creating, number one? How many different formats? How many versions am I getting? Am I getting it with captions, without captions? Am I getting it with commercial music, without commercial music? What is the usage term? Where am I allowed to put it? Where are they posting it? How long can I use it for? Are they putting a link in bio? Are they putting a link in their story? I mean, it can go on and on. So when you look at you know, all of those factors, you start to put together, OK, this is the scope of work. And then how I always work is, I always want to hear first from the creator, what do they think this is worth? How much time is this going to take them? So I never throw out a number. I throw out the work, the scope, and then I say, what what's your quote for this job and then we negotiate from there awesome also just to follow up sometimes um, from the creator perspective you end up making more because of the licensing and the usage versus uh, the post so that's something to also think about or to add on to current conversations and negotiations and the exclusivity I was just yes. gonna say that yes <laughs> the exclusivity is a big one I want to just get into Lee Jin, um, the VC, she coined the term passion economy. So those who are able to earn from their creative passions. And she has shared some really um, 
thought-provoking ideas about cooperative ownership. And I want to throw out um, some of her thought leadership that she's recently voiced on, you know, allowing creators to capitalize on super fans. An idea that I think that is super interesting is universal creative income. Uh, UCI is uh, the abbreviation, so a guaranteed income that would enable individuals to spend more time on their creative pursuits. Another idea that she's thrown out is providing capital investment for up and coming creators and uh, recommended content uh, algorithms. What do you guys think of some of the ideas that she has recently shared in terms of ways for creators to own space? Because I know you talk a lot about renting and owning being the future of you know the ways creators can sort of own the narrative and not be so reliant on platforms and if things go down. Um, this is to the whole panel. Well, this reminds me actually of an article I read the other day about YouTube creators who are receiving funding now from investors to have an equity in their work. And so any future uh, funds that they make, you know, their investors would get a portion of that. And so that's kind of where I see this heading as well as being small businesses and having investors in you as a creator um, instead of being just on the brand end. I mean, I joined a platform called Mighty Networks, which is, it's a lot of different things, but it is, however you make it, you can make it free, you can monetize it, and I have one month boot camps where I charge $49.99 for admission um, for the month, and there's no algorithms, and everyone who signs up and pays is in there, and when I post something, they see it, and they, I can see if they engaged with it, even if they didn't comment, and I don't, have to wonder like what's happening with my content. So that's just one example of a platform where you can sort of control the environment. I mean, I love, I love the, the idea. I think it's definitely possible. I think it's gonna be all contingent on consumer trends mm -hmm. and where, where we are <laughs> um, ultimately and where we're engaging and where we're spending our time and how we're spending our time if we're converting on those platforms that are really gonna steer us elevating in that way. But I think if you love someone's content, I mean, it's a great test, right? It's mm -hmm. like if you, if you just stop posting and people are like, where are you? Yeah. Why haven't you posted? It's like you can sort of gauge and see like, okay, like if I, if I just didn't post and then came back and then said, hey, guys, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post, but I'm going to do it over here, and it's going to actually, there's going to be a fee, a monthly fee, the diehard fans will pay. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think this, this universal creative income is, is very interesting. I do think that, you know, when you talk about the 1%, would this be applicable again? You know, when you talk about the creator funds, a lot of the creator funds, the, it was again the top 1% who saw the biggest payouts. And so I do, I, I love the, the thought process in this. Um, 
But don't you think, and this has nothing to do with influencers or creators, whatever you want to call them, it's, it's even back in the days of like celebrity wrangling. Like your last rate is your new rate. So the 1% keep on making more because their last rate dictate, if their last rate was 20K more than their actual rate, that's their new rate. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just, again, goes back to education and just making sure creators understand what their worth is and charging appropriately for that worth. I think they also need to be careful. I say this all the time. Influencers, creators aren't ad units. They aren't media buys. And so I think we also have to, creators have to be careful that they don't operate in that manner as well because that's when they will lose their audience. People follow creators. They are influenced by creators because what they organically do. Yes. The sponsorship, those partnerships are, are added. And a good creator knows how to fuse that into their content schedule in, in, a, in a creative way. Um, and so I just think as this industry becomes more sophisticated, we find ways around making sure that it, it remains creator first in their best interest. We can't make it performative. Creators can't make it performative. They are not media buys. They are creators and that we can't lose that. I agree 100% and I do think that education and getting more of the business community to support creators on their journey because if you are a young entrepreneur, how do you really know how to scale a business? And so I think mentorship and getting banking institutions to find creative ways to help young entrepreneurs fund their business is also super important and tapping into grants and other sort of resources in that capacity too. There's not enough of it. So last question, and then we'll throw it out to some Q&A to this group. We hear the term gig economy, passion economy, creator economy, ownership economy. What is next? <laughs> I mean, I, I think we should stick with creator economy now. Why do we need to have a new one, a new name? I don't know. Gig economy, I think, minimizes the effort and the work. Because it ain't a gig. I mean, it takes hours and teams, and you, it's just, it's not a gig. I'm so glad that you said that, because I'm never going back to any other economy. I love and appreciate the creator economy for all those <laughs> listening. <laughs> but um, also, just even looking at the impact that 2020 had, there were so many new creators that were able to flourish and, and thrive because of the need for this content. Um, so, you know, cheers to that. I'm never going back. <laughs> I, just, I just want to add a comment back to you, Marinda, because I, I think I want to clarify, because I think you're so right about maintaining that sort of organic editorial point of view, and I think the, the balance between how much is paid and how much is organic and you're doing it because you, you want to. But I think if you're genuinely like a full-time creator, you're going to only take paid jobs that you genuinely align with. And I think what our job is to make sure that we are encouraging this to be a business. So we always say, like, the height of an athlete career is the Nike sponsorship, right? No one's looking down on the fact that, like, Nike's paying someone. So when we think about creators being paid and having ads and disclosing, like, hashtag ad or, you know, partner, 
that should be a proud moment, not a like, oh, guys, so sorry, I had to take this like one thing because I have to like pay my rent this month. Like, so I think that's where we all need to kind of work together to like speak the same language because at the end of the day, everyone wants a Nike contract, right? It goes back to um, taking the stigma out of the word influencer and creator. Yep. Because yes. it goes on, it goes both ways between the consumers and the creator space in itself. And I think it also relies on creating actual value for your audiences, too, and not feeling like it's an ad. I mean, you have to definitely be aligned with the brand in a way that they feel that this is really um, a coming together or like a wholesome type of partnership. And then they actually feel happy for you because, you know, they followed you from uh, from the beginning to now. And you don't ever want them to feel like you're using them because that's not how it should be perceived or how your intentions are. Um, so I really think it is about creating that organic relationship with them to let them know that these partnerships are what you are truly aligned with. The, the one thing I'm gonna add, I was listening to you guys be really upset by the gig economy label. You know, you um, people that work in the gig economy have a lot in common with you all and to solve some of the bigger problems that Kiana is trying to address with the um, universal income um, can only be solved with partnering with those people too, right? So you all need healthcare. All these things that are not coming from employers, the traditional thing that I'm doing right now, um, people in the gig economy are doing too and I just don't see changes politically I don't want to get this too political unless you guys band together and say like health insurance shouldn't have to come from a traditional you know employee you know employer employee relationship and 401ks and all the things and accessing loans and things like that and so think about not putting up maybe walls and labels but reaching out to other people that are doing things differently in the 21st century and that need bigger problems solved. I agree. Um, also, too, I just wanted to segue because you meant, uh, Aliza mentioned, um, you know, the sponsor by post. So I just wanted to ask a couple questions about FTC guidelines and how that impacted the creator economy um, moving forward. Well, they're there. Sorry. <laughs> they're there. I mean, I think, I think again, going back to education, like there's serious ramifications for not disclosing. And I think also, you know, authenticity is everything, right, for a creator. So I think posting something and not disclosing that you were gifted it or you were paid to do it is just disingenuous to the people who are following you and trusting you. So the guidelines are there, and, and I think, you know, you could – maybe be like, okay, well, it's the government and, you know, they're, you know, squashing our creativity, but it's kind of like, well, no, we're trying to just keep you authentic, which is the goal anyway, right? I, I personally prefer the disclosure. I actually don't find it to be a problem. I like writing when something is gifted, like, on my stories, because my audiences know exactly, uh, like, what to trust and what to actually, you know, what I really love to use, because obviously I love to use what I'm gifted and what I'm using on my own daily life, but when it's so blurred, you really, you start to feel like, okay, what is, what is um, the intention behind sharing this post? So again, I think it's really important actually to use those disclosures, and it keeps your relationship authentic. Yeah, so this is my world. I talk to the FTC every single day of my life. I've defended many 
many big brands and FTC investigations for this exact issue. Um, and this is literally what I do all day. Um, I know, that's a lot about me, but um, look, you guys are never gonna be the target of an FTC investigation. They have sent out letters in the past to um, you know, very big influencers and basically celebrities that also endorse products and have sent warning letters and have brought a few lawsuits against um, really big endorsers of products they don't love. So that's another thing. If you're endorsing dietary supplements or you know, COVID remedies that don't work, you're probably gonna be higher on the target list than if you're in fashion or, other, or, or working on other products. But I could tell you that the brands are under a lot of pressure. They're under a lot of pressure. Um, my clients, and it's coming from a lot of different places, but it's, it, the FTC is looking at them holistically and not just for whether or not their influencers are disclosing the relationship, not just looking at their privacy policy. So if one of your, you know, the brands you work with is under, is under you know, scrutiny, then you're gonna feel the pressure. And that's the only way for them to do it. And so I know I advise my companies to put pressure on their influencers and build in in their contracts that they can do all kinds of things if you don't disclose, and they have to, because they, they've signed a lawsuit settlement saying that they will do so. And so this, we're gonna see this more and more, and so you're gonna get more pressure from the companies that you work with. And so you know, the sooner that you accept it um, and ask questions from the brands on how they want it done so that they are participating in your compliance, I think the better um, for, for both counterparties in, in that arrangement. I think it's super important though that the platform branded content tools also evolve. For you sure. know, Instagram launched the branded content tool and it has never been updated. And it's not reflective of all of the different types of opportunities that can be presented to a creator because you can be endorsing something that could also be trade and is not paid and sponsored. And so I think, you know, I, we, Carson and I talk to creators who get branded content flags. I get flagged for every AIC <laughs> post as well, so they think that you're paying, the, paying us off, I guess. <laughs> oh, you're not being paid? <laughs> and, you know, so I think, you know, what type of endorsements are there? There are so many. You know, gifted is one type, but it could be a trade. You know, it could be a partnership. You can be just talking about something that you like, and there's no monetary value. You know, so I think that there also has to be an evolution of products, and the FTC also needs to keep up with social media. And fun fact, if you use the branded partnership tool and the brand reposts to, to their stories, it doesn't freaking go there the branded partnership tool falls off. So like, what's that? It doesn't even, it, do you, test it out. You guys should test it out. It's not compliant. It's compliant, it's not right. Compliant. You still have to do the hashtags and all of that. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. But also too, are there limitations now on boosting some of those sponsored posts as well? Do you guys see that? I mean, personally, as a creator, you can't boost the sponsored post, yeah, but you can elect for the brand to be able to promote it. Yeah, so whitelist. Yeah. Yeah. 
I want to throw it out to our audience for some questions. Does anyone have any questions they want to ask our, our key opinion leaders before we wrap up? Any questions from the audience? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Ooh, nice and close. Um, I'm Chrissy Abram. I'm actually an advisor on the board. And one of the things that I've been considering, so I work in brand marketing, and I have been in the influencer space for the last decade or so. And one of the things that I'm noticing is that when I go to a creator, much like, who is this lovely woman in the middle? with the headband. Oh, Aliza. Aliza, yeah. Hi. So much when I go out to a creator, I go out with the proposition. And so I talk about the, the marketing funnel. And I talk about if it's top of funnel, middle of funnel, or bottom of funnel marketing. And I ask them, I'm like, OK, so if I were to do just a brand awareness play with you, what would we do? And a lot of the time, the creator can't answer that. What would we do if we want to do a revenue driving opportunity? What does that look like? So I think there's an area of opportunity with creators to be empowered to say, hey, actually, here's a statement of work for you. And now instead of you know, the brand paying you $5,000, it could be $15,000 thing. So from a creator standpoint, do you guys get into those conversations? All the time. Yeah, okay, they are, cool. They are definitely important, um, not even from a, a contracting perspective but even from a briefing perspective like tapping creators to really kind of get leverage their insights on like okay these are the brand goals how would you suggest to bring this to life what's going to resonate with your audience is key in having those conversations that is the definition of partnership in this space and back to my saying their creators aren't ad units so using them as consultants of the brand um, is the best way to go Does anyone else? Hi. Um, this kind of piggybacks off this, and maybe this is for Miranda too, but um, I work on the brand side a lot as well. Um, and I think a lot of the confusion is like, well, how do we integrate, you know, paid marketing with influencers or things like that? Are there brands that are sort of blurring the line between? influencer marketing and like traditional advertising that you know you have examples of just because you know these brands out here we want to see like what's everyone else doing <laughs> that kind of thing so um without naming brands yes i definitely think that happens um the brands get that get it right truly understand the value of creators and influencers and they know how to use them they know how to work with them. They know how to engage them and bring them into the brand as a partner, um, for sure. But it, it definitely happens. But also, there's like platforms that do this, right? So Coley, as an example, you can be a creator in Coley. is not about your personal platform. You're a content creator. Brands go in there. They, they put out a brief. You say, if you want to do it, this is the rate. You produce the content. And then the brand uses it as pure traditional advertising but it's a creator-produced piece of content. There's nothing wrong with that. It's nothing wrong with it, and I think it also lends itself to the, the very fact now that creator content 
does better than branded content. Mm -hmm. And so more and more brands that are investing more in this space are increasing their budgets because we, even though it's still small on the fraction of the advertising, it's still going up. And I think that's because it's very, it's very obvious the facts are there that creator content is king right now over branded content. I would also like to add that I think the brands that do it the best are the ones that um, create a lifestyle out of their brand, so they kind of transcend, you know, that that uh, quotation. Um, I think that the brands that make people kind of go crazy just to be part of that lifestyle. So again, like you know, not to name drop, but like Lululemon is one that has like taking off, and um, Nike, of course, like everyone wants to be part of that like brand, but they also live and breathe it. So I think that sometimes the, the best brand partnerships are the ones where the creator is actually also living that brand and creating from there together as, as like a mutual respect. And I think too, as you were saying, um, especially you see this a lot on TikTok where brands are not really using the traditional um, engagement that they would and they're really targeting Gen Z. You know, you see that with like Duolingo or Chipotle and or like Ryanair, all these accounts that just like make really funny Gen Z comments and young people are wanting to interact with that brand traditionally, which they probably would have never wanted to interact with such a company. So it's like interesting to see how um, they're changing the landscape completely when it comes to what's considered traditional marketing now. Or even a lot of brands are actually hiring front-facing social media employees where you have like the Walmart guy who got so popular, um, you know, that TikToker who was doing the dances. I feel like, you know, social media is definitely changing. You need ambassadors, you need real culture, you know. At the end of the day, social media is about being social and creating culture, and that will always be mission critical for any consumer brand. I, uh, I also definitely agree. I think that becoming an ambassador or some sort of long-term partnership has seemed to, in my opinion, to be the best sort of opportunities to get because you're growing with the brand and you're incentivized to, to do that as well. Versus just like the one-off post where you know it may not work in your favor or uh, the creator may be frustrated because it's, it's just like a transactional opportunity. But from the brand side, because I, I lived this back in the day at DKNY, I will tell you that when you have one person um, as your face, and I back in the day at DKNY, I created a social media personality called DKNY PR Girl that was anonymous for two years and then wasn't. And for six years, I was the voice of DKNY PR Girl. And it, it sort of snowballed into this massive thing that then eclipsed the rest of the brand. And then I got a book deal and left the company. So not great for the brand when that happens. So I think the key here is diversification. Yes. You can have a bunch of different ambassadors, but I think if you're going to rely on like the Walmart guy, you better have that guy in like a 20-year contract that's like ironclad. And I see this too, especially with a lot of professionals in um, different magazines and uh, production outlets using their expertise to become popular on social media. And then there becomes this blurred line of, well, can they accept branded opportunities outside of work? Like if you work, for example, Harper's Bazaar and you're like a beauty expert, can you work with beauty brands on your own or is it solely in your work since you've become popular from your work? Yeah, I think the lines are all are 
pretty blurred at times too because I, I work with a lot of models sometimes and um, I definitely had a conversation where I was trying to hire someone as a model but they wanted to be paid like an influencer and again that is a real thing <laughs> so the rates just don't apply so that's why sometimes you might see it just uh, posted on the account and not on their personal account because they do have a profession but they're also dabbling in so many other industries so it's a it's a, it's a very interesting and narrow uh, path to, to navigate well, I think we're at time, so I want to thank everyone for joining us at Soho Works Dumbo and for uh, celebrating National Entrepreneurship Day with uh, Creators with Influence and the American Influencer Council and thanking our uh, key opinion leaders for uh, this thought-provoking conversation and for all of our guests here and those tuning in uh, virtually. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having us. It was lovely. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And we are signing off. <laughs>